Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. I want to appreciate all of you who are with us. We're going to pray and invite the presence of the Lord uh, because we, we more than anything else need God's presence to come to bear on all that we are and all that we do. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the opportunity to share with these brothers and sisters this evening in this somewhat unconventional session or time for the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals conversation and and uh, confab. We ask, oh God, that you would please guide and direct our proceedings. Let the wisdom of God characterize all that we do and say. Oh God, let us be an honorable people and let us bring honor and glory to you and to all to which we are and with which we are associated. I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would continue to let your grace abound among these professionals, not for the praise of any man, but for the glory and the honor of our King. Supply every need and grant every God-honoring request, we pray. Oh, Father, help us to remember that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waking but in vain. The house is the business. The house is the career. The house is the marriage. The house is the family. And you said, if the Lord doesn't build it, our efforts are futile. Build in us and build through us, Father. Let your spirit have his way. Cleanse us afresh. Cleanse us afresh and cover us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Once again, uh, friends, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We have been talking about uh, throughout this month, being, becoming, and doing. Being, becoming, and doing. And the thrust of this conversation is that God, before the foundation of the world, had purpose had planned, had engineering and design with you in his mind. In other words, we are among those who believe that even as God told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in thy mother's womb, I knew thee and I ordained thee a prophet to the nations. We believe that that is not just a word to Jeremiah. We believe it's a word to every human being that God, before he formed us in our parents' bodies, knew and ordained us with a meticulously planned destiny. God had a plan when he brought you into the earth. That's your being, God's purpose and his plan, his intent for your life and mine. That's the being. But then when the being 
starts to tick down in time. The being comes. In other words, that which God has already established in eternity now begins to walk its way down in time. We call that the hyphen coming, becoming, the eternal coming into the temporal. You get it? The eternal, E-T-E-R-N-A-L, coming into the temporal, T-E-M-P-O-R-A-L. That is that which pertains to time. And as God's eternal plan begins to unwind in time, the individual who be in eternal, in eternal uh, foreknowledge of God comes into earthly time and begins to do what God purposed for him or her to do from the beginning. Listen, before I formed thee in thy mother's womb, that's the coming. I knew thee, that's the being, and ordained thee, that's the being, a prophet to the nations, that's the doing. Now, it's all being in the mind of God, but what I'm saying is, once he forms in the mother's womb, Jeremiah, Jeremiah is going to grow up and eventually begin to do the prophetic ministry that God said he'd be before he ever came to the earth. You are not a mistake. You are not a coincidence. You are not unplanned offspring, not in the mind of God. He was very deliberate in bringing you here. Bishop Jakes used to preach uh, very frequently about people being a survivor. He would talk about, you are a survivor. And he talked about the fact that even when it comes to the, the process by means of which uh, an egg is fertilized by sperm, that the millions of spermata that are released, typically only one makes its way to the egg and penetrates it of all the millions that are released. And he was saying that you were, you know, in the words of Bishop Marvin Winers, millions didn't make it, but I'm one of the one who did, or the one who did in that instance. What he's saying is you survived uh, contrary circumstances even then. But what I'm talking to you about tonight is that it goes further back than the spermata. It goes all the way back to the mind of God himself. Before your father and your mother came together physically, God, God had you in mind. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing? Particularly for those who came up through difficulty, those who came up in situations where they were neglected or abandoned or abused. Isn't it reassuring to know that even though the significant adults in your life, maybe your parents, maybe your uh, adoptive parents, foster parents, all those individuals who had sway over your life as an early uh, child, if they, if, if they, now some of us were blessed to have people who loved us and nurtured us, 
But if you happen to be one of those who did not, isn't it reassuring to know that despite the difficulties that you experienced in your incipient stages, God says you are my purpose. That's why you made it. And listen, God hasn't stopped thinking about you. He hasn't stopped working out his will in and through your life. Remember the book of uh, Psalms chapter eight. The Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And it goes down a few verses. It says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy finger, the sun, moon, and stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that you have him on his mind? You have him on your mind. God has you on his mind. God has, and he, before he brought you to the earth, he had you on his mind. He hasn't stopped thinking about you. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. It says this. How precious also, matter of fact, uh, we don't have time to read all of this, but if you read all of Psalm 139, Psalm 139 amplifies what it is I'm sharing with you about the fact that God pre-planned you and pre-purposed you. Let's just take a glimpse of it. Um, verse 15, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. In other words, he knew when, when you were an embryo and a zygote and all of that. He knew he was watching all of that. He was there. He was he was overseeing that process. Look at this. Uh, he says, uh, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. Not imperfect, unperfect. Imperfect means there's a flaw. Unperfect means not yet developed. Before I was developed, he saw me unperfect. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Look at this. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. In other words, God already had the record that you would be brown-eyed before you had eyes, that you'd be blue-eyed before you had eyes, that you'd have this level of height and this level of breadth, the B-R-E-A-D-T-H. What kind of personality that you'd be loquacious and talkative or that you'd be more reticent and quiet or that you'd have musical gifts, that you'd be a soprano, that you'd be an alto, that you'd be a mezzo-soprano, that you'd be a contralto. He had it written. My God, this is not what I came to talk about tonight, but maybe it is. But isn't that good? Yes, uh, Sister Marilyn Davis, he already had it scripted. Verse 17, those dimples, he, he, he had your dimples written up into the script. <laughs> Look at verse 17. That, that's where I was trying to go there. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. Isn't that good? So Psalm 139 is a very powerful text that assures, reassures, and validates your existence as being intentional 
with God. Nothing random, nothing mistaken. Now, there are some things that are twisted. In other words, they are not as God intended them. Remember, David said, I was shapen in iniquity. Shapen in iniquity. Now, to be shapen means to be given a form or a shape. Iniquity is twistedness. So in other words, God had a shape for me. He had a contour for me. He had a structure for my life. But because of sin, I was shapen in twistedness. I'm thinking about some little fellows I grew up with. And those fellows were bright-eyed. They, they were curious. They were bright. But I watched them being shapen in iniquity, not just in the womb and all of that, but I'm talking about in, a, in, in an environment of iniquity and in, in a twisted environment, in an environment where they were not shown love as they should have been, in an environment where they were not taught the right ways of living that they should have been. And I watched the bright lights in their eyes over time become dim. And I watched the healthy complexions that they have that they had. I'm talking about, listen, I'm not talking about a certain light or dark complexion. I'm talking about a beautiful glowing complexion. In that instance, they were, in that instance, they were, some of them, darker complexion. Then I've watched dear fair-skinned sisters and brothers that, that were just brimful of potential and brimful of, I'm going to be, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to have, I've watched them be shapen in iniquity and the light virtually went out. Shapen in iniquity. See, your being in, in eternity is perfect, but you're going to be shaped somewhere. All of us are shapen in iniquity in that we are born in sin, but some people are raised in environments that are iniquitous environments twisted environments where the children grow up with somebody cussing them out every night and every morning where they're not disciplined with corporal punishment but they're beaten mercilessly like slaves they're being shapen twisted in iniquity if and, and please don't answer but if you happen to be an individual who knows that you are raised in a twisted environment. God sent us to Psalm 8 and Psalm 139 tonight just to tell you that he formed and purposed you. He purposed you before you were physically formed. He purposed you before your mother or your father or your grandmother or your aunt or your uncle or anybody else, your foster parents, adopted parents, before any of them had you. He purposed you. You were, all of us were shaping an iniquity that is born in sin, but you may have been shaping in a twisted situation. Your view of yourself was shaped in twistedness. Your view of your intellect, your view of what life is supposed to be like, your view of your sexuality, your view of your personality, your view of your intellect or lack thereof was shaped or twisted in iniquity. I've come from the Father to tell you tonight that Isaiah 53, 5 was written with you 
and with me in mind. And that and that Psalm 103 and 3 was written with you and me in mind. What does Isaiah 53 and 5 say? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was bruised to undo the twistedness that has occurred in our lives. He was crushed. The word bruised in the Hebrew is crushed. He was crushed that we might be made whole. That the crooked things that held us can turn us loose. And once those crooked things turn us loose, my, 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 my. Let me tell you something. When the crooked thing that had you turns you loose, you're going to regain your original shape. My God, my God. I just heard that in my heart. Hallelujah. That when the thing that held you twisted, when God breaks that band, when God destroys that yoke by his anointing, the thing that had you twisted, when it's no longer there, you're going to regain your original shape. Lord have mercy. You're going to regain, whew, hallelujah, the configuration, the alignment that God had you from the beginning and had for you from the beginning. Psalm 103 and verse 3 says this. It says that he forgiveth all our iniquities. He forgives all the twisted things that we've done and all the twisted things that we've allowed ourselves to be sucked into. He forgives us all of the twisted things. Lord, I praise your name. Sister Martin, did you catch that? Good God. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I believe that our father is speaking to somebody. I know this is FKP, but I believe he's talking to somebody. Hallelujah. Because there's some people, the reason why they're twisted is because they're held in a twisted structure. They're held in a twisted mindset. They're held in a twisting trauma that won't turn them loose. But God is going to break that thing off you. Wait a minute. And he's going to use you as an agent to break that twisting thing, that thing that's holding someone contorted. And when that thing turns them loose, they're going to regain their original shape. And you know what? I've seen him do it. I've seen God do it. I've seen people who were distorted and contorted and perverted. But I've seen that perverted, distorted, perverted thing broken off them, broken off their spirit, broken off their soul. And I watched them regain God's original shape and intention for their lives. Oh, Father, I give you praise. What a mighty God we serve. Brother Lee, you asked a question some time ago, um, a, a few sessions ago, not long ago, about the vessel in the 18th chapter of uh, Jeremiah being marred in the hand of the potter. And um, quite a few years ago, the Lord pointed this out to me. And I'd never heard anybody preach it at that time. I've heard some since then, and I won't go into that. But Prior to that, I never heard anybody preach this that I'm going to share. And that is that 
The Bible says that the potter is making a vessel and it's marred in his hands. And the Bible says, so he made it again another vessel. The Lord pointed out to us that the reason why he was able to make it again another vessel is because although it was marred, that is damaged in his hands, it was not marred in his mind. In other words, he had a plan. And although the thing is damaged in his hand, he still remembers his original intention. So he was able to make it again because he hadn't lost the plan. He hadn't lost the blueprint. That's what I mean when I say that when he takes the thing that's twisting you away from you, you can gain your original shape and regain it. We've been talking, and this is consistent. This is consistent with what we've been sharing. Being, becoming, and doing. Being, becoming, doing. Being, becoming, doing. All of this regaining the shape and making it again another vessel, all of that is the becoming. All of that is the becoming. So it's not another lesson. It's the same lesson. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. Now the Lord had said in uh, to Abram, get thee out from thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He says, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you, curse him that curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That is our introduction to the process up close of a man being, becoming, and doing. His being is Abraham. His being Coming is Abram on his way to becoming Abraham. And his doing is his consistent obedience to God to fulfill his will, which, in, which ultimately includes raising up the family that will house the lineage of Messiah. Raising up the family that will house the lineage of Messiah. So good to see you, uh, Brother Cambridge. Good to see you, uh, Brother Wright, Sister Lowe's, uh, Brother and Sister Farrell. All right? And you may also, those who are with us this morning, recall that according to Isaiah 46 and 10, God declares the end from the beginning. So he be Abraham before he become Abram. In other words, he... he he be Abraham in, in, in the eternal mind of God before he become Abram, the son of his father, Terah. God starts at the end and then moves an individual to purpose. And, uh, and so Abram becomes Abraham. Abram, the moon worshiper, becomes Abraham the father of the faith of the true God. And here's something that was noteworthy from this morning as well. 
a part of Abraham's doing seems by our modern standards rather insignificant because one of the most important things, Brother Muller, it's good to see you, that Abraham was tasked with doing, charged with doing, was alongside his wife, along with his wife, Sarah, producing a son. One of the greatest works of Abraham was his and his wife's producing of Isaac. Isaac is important because Isaac is one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel that again gives us the scripture and ultimately gives us Messiah. Isaac is important because Isaac is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Isaac is important in his own right as a man of God. Many times, the thing or a part of the thing, maybe most of the thing that God calls an individual to do, it can seem insignificant. I was thinking, I gave the illustration this morning that it has been reported that uh, the revival in which Billy Graham was saved was revival that would be considered by many matrices unsuccessful. Not many converts. Not many people gave their lives to the Lord. But that one little blue-eyed, blonde-haired, North Carolinian country boy that got saved one night, that little boy, by the power of the gospel, turned the world in many regards, upside down as an evangelist. So the evangelist who won Billy Graham to the Lord, though it could have looked by many and too many that he was not a very successful preacher, if you preached out Billy Graham, who preached out, who preached to more human beings in person than almost any preacher of the 20th century. I think about uh, her name was Susanna Wesley, if I have it correct. Susanna Wesley. And if I'm not mistaken, there were 10 children in the family. I may have that number uh, a little off, but it was a large number of children. And the only thing that we know she did was raise those children well. But from among her children were two, and I'm sure the others were a blessing, but two. One was named Charles, and one was named John. Miss Susanna Wesley had a bunch of children, and among those children that she raised well, she raised one named Charles and one named John. If you ever get a chance to get a hymnal, look through and see how many of the hymns of the faith were written by Charles Wesley. And then if you ever heard of a church called a Methodist church or a Wesleyan church, or if you've ever heard of the holiness movement, or sanctification, 
or the Pentecostal church. All of them trace their roots back through John Wesley, who was a, a contributor to the First Great Awakening. In other words, millions, even billions of lives were impacted. There's Brother John James Brown. Come on with it, Brother Brown, Reverend Brown. You can help me out. Millions, even billions were impacted through John Wesley, the preacher, Charles Wesley, the hymnologist, brothers whose mother's sole claim to fame is that she raised her children as God would have it so. What I'm saying is fulfilling the call of God is not always some lofty, what we consider lofty. As a matter of fact, in a day like ours, a statement that I just made, like Susanna Wesley having all those children and parenting them, uh, that, that's considered a put down. It, it would even be considered a sexist or a misogynistic uh, idea. Not at all, at least not on my part. That's that's not my intention. I'm simply saying that sometimes what would be considered the most mundane and ordinary and unimportant function can actually be you shaping the world for the kingdom of God. And this takes me to um, the conclusive aspect of our sharing tonight. And that is the principle called the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. When Martin Luther and the various other reformers in the 16th century began to protest the abuses of Romanism, no disrespect to any stream of the faith or to any believers, but Romanism was being protested because there were abuses and abusive practices, the selling of indulgences, for example, and Martin Luther and others stood against these abuses. And one of the things that they began to understand was that priesthood was not an exclusive class for an elite group. And that this dichotomy, this sense of classes and hierarchy in the body of Christ was not a legitimate ruling or a legitimate structure. And unfortunately, we have remnants of that in our theology today. There's this idea that if a person is fivefold ministry, if a person's a bishop or the person's 
elder or what have you, a reverend, that he or, or she has one standing with God. On the other hand, if a person's a plumber or a painter, electrician, um, a farmer, he or she has another standing with God. That's, that's a false doctrine. The old covenant had an exclusive class of priests in comparison with the rest of the nation of Israel. But under the new covenant, all of us are priests unto God. It is found in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Now, if you're going to hear me, I need you to hear me all the way out. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, but, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that have called you out of darkness unto his marvelous light. So again, he says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, all of us. Now, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the unity uh, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so listen. What Peter is saying in 1 Peter 2 and 9 is that all believers are priests under God. What is a priest? He's someone who represents uh, God to people and represents people to God. I'm being very basic about it. A priest, very general about it. A priest is someone who represents God to people and represents people to God. He represents God to people by teaching. First of all, by modeling, teaching, preaching uh, the word, making the word real and practical in people's lives. And then he represents the people to God through intercession, through worship, etc. And all of us are called to do that. All of us are called, not just uh, professional clergy. Now, why would you be harping on that today, Brother Blue? Why would you be bringing that up? I'm bringing it because. This fallacy that God has more than one class of people is a means by which the church has been made impotent in many regards because the vast majority of the church consists of people who are not vocational or professional clergy. And so if the vast majority of the people who are called to be priests don't think that they are, then the priestly work will not be done. God will not be represented to people and people will not be represented to God as they are. I've been dealing with the fact that God is not just God of Sunday. He is also God of Monday. That, that it doesn't mean that Sunday isn't important. 
In other words, one of our problems is when we begin to hear this kind of teaching, one of the first things we think of is tearing down other people. So yeah, he ain't all that. She ain't all that. I, I, I ain't nobody. No, 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 no. We're not denigrating and derogating Sunday. We're not demeaning ministry and preaching and teaching and all of that. We're not derogating Sunday. We're elevating Monday. What God is saying is, just as I called my spokesperson to minister in the Sunday context, I've called thousands and millions of others of my serving sons, male and female, to minister Monday through Saturday or Monday through Friday or whatever the work week is. And that is because there are so many people that that Monday minister is going to touch that the Sunday minister never reaches. I'll say it again. There are going to be so many people that the Monday minister reaches that the Sunday minister will never touch. If the Sunday minister is successful, he or she will impart to those that he's called to serve in such a way that they go and serve others of the grace that has been imparted to them. That Ephesians 4.11, I want to go there. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Most of us are familiar with that text. But before that, let's look at it. God says something before that, uh, Sister Haynes, and I think that many times we haven't paid as close attention uh, to as we ought. It says here, verse 11, he gave those gifts. But verse 7 says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Unto how many? Every one of us. Now, the fivefold ministry says some and some and some and some and some, which means not all. But this verse, this verse says that every one of us has been given grace. And so what does that say to us? Well, it says a number of things. One of the things it says to us is the fivefold ministry, fourfold slash fivefold ministry, those are not people who are superior. They are people who have a particular function in the greater body of Jesus Christ. It is an equipping function. It is an instructional, empowering function. They have a distinct function. They have a special function in the body. It doesn't make them more special than the rest of the body. It simply gives them a distinct responsibility in the body. Your brain has a function that your heart does not have. Your lungs have a function that your pancreas uh, does not have. Your hands have a function that your feet do not have. It doesn't make either inferior or superior to the other, they're all distinct and their functions are complementary. The fivefold minister then is not superior if he's a if, if the fivefold minister 
is a part of the body of Christ. And the plumber is a part of the body of Christ. They are both sons of God. And the fivefold minister's work on Sunday is the will of God. But the plumber's work on Monday is the will of God. What happens is that the preacher has been made aware that his verbiage is the work of God. The plumber, in many instances, has not been made aware that his repair and his building of systems in people's homes and in building projects is the work of God. He's not been made aware of that. The preacher has been made aware that his verbiage needs to be propelled and fueled by the anointing and by the word and by consecration. The plumber has not been instructed that he needs the word, the anointing, and a consecration to carry out what he does. Therefore, there's this false dichotomy. There's a false dichotomy in the mentality of believers. And we have this idea that clergy has one level in God and laity has another level in God when the Bible says to every one of us is given grace. Listen, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, absolutely right. Well, some pastor and teachers, the way it reads. But whatever you're calling, the graces that are these gifts can also and should also work in your life. An apostolic doctor, yes. A prophetic attorney, yes. An evangelistic educator, yes. A pastoral CEO, yes. A teaching administrator, yes. The graces that are embodied in the fivefold ministry should be expressed in all of the body of Christ. The illustration from yesterday, the Bible says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Some have translated the word, the Greek word that we translate mansion, some have translated that rooms. In my father's house are many rooms. I like to say it this way. In my father's house are many dimensions. Well, let's just deal with the word rooms. I'm sitting in a room called the pastor's office or pastor's study. But the largest room in this building is a room that we call the sanctuary. How many know that the sanctuary is a room in the father's house? Oh, yes. It's a room of stained glass. It's a room with pews. It's a room up under a steeple. But in my father's house are many rooms, not just the sanctuary room. What about OR, the operating room? What about ER, the emergency room? What about CR, the courtroom? What about CR again, the classroom? In my father's house are many rooms. Thank you, sir. And there are things that God wants to do in certain rooms. And there are certain rooms God wants to put you in that don't have stained glass, that don't have pews. But all those rooms are part of the Father's kingdom. I was talking to the young man, musically gifted, and he was talking about the fact that God 
Well, yeah, God did it, but but let me back up. He was talking about the fact that he's helping to score a film for Netflix. Netflix, N-E-T-F-L-I-X, that he's helping to score a film for Netflix. In other words, he's not he's not helping the gospel group down the road to make their CD. He is helping to score a film for Netflix. You know who Netflix is. You don't know who the gospel group down the road trying to make a CD. You don't know who they are, but you know who Netflix, Netflix is. Virtually the whole civilized quote unquote world knows who Netflix is. And he's helping to score. Now, this young man is anointed. This young man is gifted. He has the Holy Ghost. He knows the word of God. But God has placed him in a room with Netflix. And he says, what has what has what has begun to happen is that every increment of the music development, they don't want to start. They don't want to start without him leading them in prayer. So much so that if they can't find him, they're not starting anything until they can locate him. Hey, we got to, we got to pray. Ladies and gentlemen, most of my ministering happens in that room, the, the room called the sanctuary. I have never been asked by Netflix to do anything, but in my father's house are many rooms. Now, Netflix might not know it, but the room of Netflix belongs to God. <laughs> you didn't hear what I said. <laughs> And there's a room that God wants to place you in, Jennifer Ruff. There's a room that God wants to uniquely place you in. Sister Avant, there's a room that belongs to the Father. Now, I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not taking away from the fact that there's a heaven and, and there's great, big, fancy houses. But do you understand what I'm saying? In my father's house are many rooms. And God does not need for you to be so narrow-minded as to think that the father only works in one room. He only shows his glory in one room. He only speaks in one room. He's only prophetic in one room. He only heals in one room. He only gives the prophetic in one room. No, there is a room in the father's house. And a place has been prepared there for you. Oh, yes. Now, listen. Yes, we're going to heaven. We're going to sing and shout. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in this life, in this age, there is a room in the Father's kingdom. There is, that is, there is a dimension where you are to exercise dominion. There is a dimension where you exercise dominion, not yours, but his. And God has prepared space for you in such a room. All believers, all believers. Whew. Have you discovered the room that he's prepared for you? I thought I read somewhere a man's gift maketh room. All right, our time has uh, expired. I want to thank you so much 
for being with us. I hope that you've been uh, strengthened. For, for all of you who think I'm being unorthodox and misappropriating the scripture, no, in heaven, there are dwelling places, are abodes for those who will tra be translated or resurrected, etc. Absolutely so. But there's more to the text than that one application or that one interpretation. Jesus says that I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Not where I will be, but where I am. We're standing in the sonship where he was at the time when he made that statement. But we'll talk again. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, let us bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of our eternal God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.